This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. BFM 89.9, The Business Station. My name is Rich Bradbury and this is Matt Splained. Um... I can feel the electricity in the air today. Uh, and no, it's not some new cologne Matt has stumbled upon. It's the rise of new uh, of a new class of medical treatments that relies on an old source, electric current. I'm not so sure I like the idea of this. Uh, no, you probably won't. And I, I've got to stop giving you cheesy intros like that as well. <laughs> yeah. you're, you're better than that. I'm not. So mm-hmm. that, that, I think, is what we've learned today. Um, no, I, I know I promised that today was going to be open source AI. Yes. But, um, I stumbled on a, a couple of dovetailing stories since last week's show. And as usual, that got me excited about something new. So, you know, I threw away the old idea for, for the time being, at least. Um, but while we're talking about um, observations, so podcast listeners may have noticed that the title for today's show is Electric Feel. Yeah, exactly. It's taken from the 2006-2007 song Electric Feel by the psych rock band MGMT. Um, and I can't believe that's 15 years old. It's still, No, it's not. It, it is. is. Wow. Yeah. It's, it's still new music in yeah. my head. Um, <laughs> but anyway, you know, music and song titles play an important part in this show, even that it might not be obvious from the outside. I often look for a song to inspire the title of the show. Mm. Sometimes it just ends up being a working title. I might change it to something that's a bit more direct or, you know, SEO friendly by the time we get to the kind of broadcast stage. But even when I leave the title, the part that isn't so obvious is how the music that I listen to when I'm planning these shows actually manages, uh, it matches or rather shapes the content. And Electric Feel actually tracks today's topic really well, not just because we're talking about electricity, but we are talking about how electricity makes us feel. Now, this part doesn't make any sense yet. Uh, I hope it will by the end. Um and I'm actually not sure which part to tackle first, the, the presence of electricity in the body mm-hmm. or new therapies that are being created that use that electric current. Are the two parts linked? Um, well, I said they're separate stories, so they dovetail more than they connect. Um, but maybe it's better to go with bioelectricity first, um, and then we can talk about that second part, which is called electroceuticals. Uh, That's treatments that are based on electricity. Uh, I'll get to that after the break. And I know that it all sounds a bit you know, Frankenstein's <laughs> monster, but, but it's not, it's, it's not about experimentation or the kind of crude and cruel practices of the past. It's a bit like those advances we've seen in, um, you know, the gut biome mm. recently, you know, these wider discoveries of the role that, uh, electricity is playing to regulate ourselves and to regulate our bodies. As much as we try and avoid it, I think the people at home are still going to be slightly stuck with this idea of Frankenstein in their head. I I think they probably are. And admittedly, 
my recording studio does look a little bit yeah, like that. Ever so um, slightly, yeah. yeah. Yeah, possibly because of the matrix pods that I use <laughs> to uh, generate fossil-free energy. Um, and nobody's missed their occupants, so it's a bit of a win-win. Um, now, the role of uh, electricity in the brain is already pretty well known. Um, the way that electronic impulses are sent throughout our nervous system to tell uh, muscles and tissue what to do, you know, that is literally the Frankenstein stuff, um, based on the discovery of the Italian anatomist Luigi Galvani, that uh, frog's legs would twitch post-mortem if electric current was passed through them. Um, and this led to him devising theories about electricity in animal tissue uh, that turned out to be largely wrong on the whole, I think. Um, and the fact that he had to wait for lightning to get his electricity right. because he made his discoveries in the 18th century. Uh -huh. um, finally, he realized that uh, if he used different kinds of metals, so for example, copper and iron wires, uh, when they were inserted into the dead tissues, when you touch them together, the legs would jump without any external electric current. And that led uh, another Italian scientist, a guy called um, Alandro Volta. Uh, you can see what his name uh, became. Um, but he came to the conclusion that the electrical charges came from the metals and not any intrinsic nature of animal biology. And his research led to the creation of the first battery in 1800. And suddenly we've got the internet and smartphones. So <laughs> I know I've kind of left out a few stops there. Um, but, you know, I don't remember any of those stories being taught in my science class when I was a kid. Uh -huh. And that might have made me a bit more interested in the subject matter, not just out of morbid curiosity. You know, kids are always interested in that kind of thing. But it's kind of an example of the periodic table in action. You know, rather than memorizing where elements go, to see how and why their position in their tables actually governs the real world effects that they have. Oh, the fascinating reminiscence of an old man here. I know. I'm riveted. I'm riveted. I know. <laughs> Back in my day, if you didn't have seashells for food, you just hit someone on the head with a club and you took their mammoth burger. Happy, <laughs> happy days. Um, no, we're, we're starting to have a much better understanding of this role that electricity plays in every cell in our body. Mm. And it turns out that it may even be the key to who we are and what we are, at least physically what we become. Uh, and scientists are starting to call this the electrome. So like the biome, the electrome. So this system of electricity within our bodies. Uh, for more detail than I'm going to be able to go into today, check out a new scientist piece by Sally Aday called The Amazing Ways Electricity in Your Body Shapes You and Your Health. Uh, you can see why I chose electric field for the title wow. rather than that, right? They really need help with their SEO, you know. I know. Um, so we, we knew about electricity in the brain and in nerve endings and muscle, muscle tissue. Uh, and for a long time, we thought this was pretty much the extent of the role that electricity plays in our bodies, other than making, you know, balloons stick to us at parties. But that left a lot of electrical impulses unaccounted for, like the strange fluctuations in current that were detected in fertilized embryos. Uh, 
since then, or, or rather more recently, there's been a landmark decade-long study by the Levin Lab at Tufts University in Massachusetts. And that's finally starting to, to crack and decipher this electric code within our bodies. I, I, I get the vibe that this is the part where you say something truly horrific. Well, I mean, it's something I find fascinating and beautiful. If other people are, are horrified, then, you know, that's their interpretation. I can't really help that. But um, the New Scientist piece details quite eloquently and in much more absorbing detail than I can go into here, um, how the research team was monitoring signals in frog embryo, uh, embryos. So it essentially placed a camera on them and it watched as, you know, the cells divided and those cells eventually formed the tadpole. So one morning while rewinding the overnight footage, one of the researchers noticed that there were these little spots of electric current. And when she examined them, she realized that they were almost like this ghost image or, or a map that showed two eyes, two ears, a jaw and a nose just wow. imprinted on this embryo. Yeah, exactly. I mean, wow is the response that, that I had as well. And that's one of the, the factors about our development that has plagued biologists. You know, genes can determine what color your hair or your eyes are, but what tells the cells that we have two eyes and not four, mm. let alone tells them where they should be placed, that the eyes go in the head. Yeah, you know, yeah. no one wants eyes on their butt cheeks for <laughs> obvious reasons, but it's, it's the same with our organs. You know, what information lines them up in the correct sequence and joins them? And why are they even placed on the inside of the body? Yet somehow every species is remarkably consistent in its anatomy and physiology. So how does this research link the electric signals to the behavior of the cells? Is it elastic trickery? <laughs> no. So, I mean, obviously that was their first problem, right? Because most methods of looking at how those electric signals work would be invasive mm. and that would disrupt the natural behavior of the cell or even destroy it completely. Destroy it, yeah. yeah. So one of the uh, methodologies that they tried, again, this is all in the New Scientist piece, they used uh, what's called a voltage reporting dye. So essentially the dye changes to different colors according to the voltage that it detects. You know, one color, it's white, another color, it's gray, another, it's, mm. it's black. Mm. So they used uh, frogs, uh, frogs' eggs, not because of a, a reference to those earlier tests by Galvani, but because frog embryo embryos are easy to observe because, you know, they develop outside the womb, you can put them under a microscope and they develop entirely normally. Um, and at first, the cells would register voltages of around uh, zero millivolts, so as you'd probably expect. But as development progressed, the voltages in the cells in the embryo registered at different voltages that corresponded to certain types of cells. So cells that would become nerve endings would show a voltage of around 70 millivolts. Skeletal muscle tissue around 90 millivolts, fat cells around 50 millivolts. So they realized that it wasn't just a map. It was 
information. A key. Yeah, it was actually telling the cells what to become. Yeah. And in case you're thinking, you know, you know, there's cause, there's correlation, which is it? As the research evolved, they discovered that the different levels of current actually told certain genes to switch on. And that's what told them to become the eye, the nose, the ear, all of these different component parts. And if they disrupted the current, they would actually change the way the cells developed and change the physiology of the tadpole. But if they restored the current, the cell became what it had been originally programmed to do. I can I'm see just, a, a look of absolute yeah. bafflement and astonishment on Richard's I, face. I, I'm just thinking, you know, if it, if it takes 50 millivolts to develop fat cells, what does it take to remove those fat cells and what millivoltage do I need to be using? <laughs> well, that's what we'll get into. Anyway, um, obviously, so so now we have this power, I guess, then to grow six-legged frogs with, with eyes in the back of their head or, or, or whatever we want, essentially. Yeah, I mean, I've just done the passive thing of making Richard deliver the <laughs> horrific part of the uh, of the thing. Um, so yes, in theory, you can intervene and change some of that coding. Uh, now, I'm not sure about growing extra limbs, but certainly you can change where the body places them, and and the team did actually do that. Um, but the potential here is really in healing. Because as I said earlier, these electric currents are found in every cell in the body. And this goes to uh, something else that's recently been rediscovered. And it was actually originally recorded 150 years ago. Uh, and it was uh, set aside because no one really knew what to do with it. And this is the, the current, the voltage of injury. And this is a, an electric signal that signals to um, the surrounding cells. If you've had uh, tissue, some kind of tissue damage, you know, you've cut yourself or whatever. So it actually sends out current that says, oh, I've been damaged. And that's a signal for the body's immune response to send in the resources that are needed to help you heal. Now, huh. you know, I know that's not entirely scientific. There's more to it. There's genes that switch on and off. There are chemical responses, a lot of stuff. But obviously, there's a limit to what I can explain with sciencey stuff and actually get us through the show in less than three hours. <laughs> but it turns out that the current is strongest when the injury is fresh and it reduces, it diminishes as the wound heals. But the current of injury declines as we age. So by the time we're around 65, it's roughly half that level of 120 millivolts. It's around 60. And that led researchers to the idea that it plays a role in why older people heal more slowly. And the idea of then being able to intervene to increase the current to speed up our healing as we age. Now, okay, how far then can we take it? Um, could we regenerate limbs? Well, that is one of the areas that, 
the Levin research is exploring. I know no this is way. more Frankenstein stuff, but they've managed to regrow legs in frogs. I told you they were doing horrible things. And they created worms with two heads. Um, they've actually formed a spin-off com- uh, company called Morphoceuticals, which is looking into ways that uh, the technology could be used to do just that, to regrow limbs um, at the uh, at the University of California Davis a team is working with the US Defense Department uh, on again using the uh, electron to halve the healing time for serious injuries because you can imagine how important that would be to mm. military field hospitals mm. and their plans uh, will should lead them to clinical trials with human patients next year in 2024 um, But it isn't all Frankenstein stuff. Um, Research also includes things like cancer cells. So research suggests that cancer cells have these current variations. They use oscillations in the voltage to actually communicate, to signal to one another. So it helps them to coordinate their spread, the metastasization. And some researchers suggested that by restoring the normal current to these cells, you're basically flipping an undo switch. It reverses the malignancy. So again, I'm paraphrasing the new scientist here. And, you know, a lot of the the treatments we have for cancer now, they destroy the cancer cells. This code reverses the malignancy and it goes back to being a normal cell. And we already have a class of drugs that can replicate some of these effects. Um, They're called ion channel blockers. Uh, They're used in a lot of heart medications. And they can, uh, or they hope that they will be able to use these to suppress the oscillations in cancer cells. You know, we often think in these very kind of cynical terms with medical research that a new discovery means a new treatment, and that means profits for whatever company. But a lot of this research in a lot of ways is actually about expanding our understanding of the ways that the body works. And that enables us to be more efficient with the tools that we already have. I think I need a minute to sit down. Um, Anyway, (laughs) when we come back, um, electroceuticals and a new generation of highly charged health treatments. We'll be right back here on Matt Splain on BFM 89.9. Blues, folk, metal. BFM 89.9. Welcome back, folks, to uh, Matt Splained here on BFM 89.9. I'm Rich Bradbury. Um, We're talking about bioelectric code and electroceuticals today. Uh, And before we get into specific treatments, um, what kind of potential, Matt, do you think these interventions have um it's that point i made before the break about expanding our understanding and i mean just to to make a point it's not often that i do these shows and richard gives me that kind of response to the things that i'm talking Mm. about because normally you know we we all have an idea of what we're talking about so Mm. i had Mm. that same wow response to reading these stories and that was the reason that i wanted to do them 
um, for today. Well, um, well, thank you for clearing that up and making sure that people do actually understand that I'm not as stupid as, as sometimes no, no, I may no, appear to a, be in this show. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, not, it's not that at all. Sometimes you come across a story that yeah. is just so kind of out there, but at the same time makes sense. Yeah. You just have those kind of, ah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, the, the, it's a real penny drop kind of, yeah. kind of moment. And I had the same when I read this. But anyway, um, yeah, just to, to answer your, your question. So scientists are, are now looking at how um, weakening membrane voltages in our mitochondria could actually play a role in the way that we age. Um, they're also looking at the role that bioelectricity plays in autoimmune conditions like rheumatoid arthritis, type 1 diabetes, um, and it's conditions that are as varied as tinnitus and even some types of narcotics addiction. So, you know, they're looking at very broad ways to apply these, these theories. And it's also being pushed by the relatively slow progress and high cost of developing drug-based interventions. Uh, for example, you know, I mentioned the voltage oscill uh, oscillations that cancer cells exhibit. You know, we've made great progress in developing anti-cancer drugs and treatments, but that progress is still quite slow. You know, we're measuring it in, in decades. And of course, pharmaceutical treatments typically come with a lot of side effects as well. Uh, when you take a drug, it's absorbed by all the body's tissues. So there are these greater risks that by treating one part of the body, you create problems somewhere else. So we're seeing this go hand in hand with the development of a lot of other more personalized treatments like gene therapies. So we're increasingly seeing the big pharmaceutical companies moving away from, you know, these one size fits all develop a blockbuster drug approach mm. to medicine and moving towards these customized treatments that target specific conditions in specific individuals. But presumably they will still require some kind of physical intervention. Yeah, I mean, that's something we'll explain a little bit more when we look at specific treatments. So the development of um, these neuromodulation devices is being done to, to treat different conditions. Uh, obviously, um, using this kind of approach probably necessitates the user wear some kind of implanted device. Um, but you're essentially using the current in your own body to reset repair or boost damaged cells rather than using these external drugs to destroy them. Uh, I also referenced a, a Time article for this story. Uh, it's uh, called Why It's Time to Take Electrified Medicine Seriously. It's by a writer called Alice Park. So that's an example of a company that is investing in SEO for its titles. <laughs> um, and they quote market expectations that the sector will be worth around $7 billion by 2025. Um, there are dozens of startups working in the field, and it's attracting really big uh, investor money, venture capital money at the moment as well. Now, obviously, $7 billion, that's real small beer in the world of pharmaceuticals. But considering this is a new field and considering how long it typically takes for treatments to be developed and to, to be, you know, 
marked as safe before they reach the market. It's a good indicator of the potential that uh, institutions and investors feel that bioelectric medicine actually has. All right. Um, we've got to address an, an elephant in the room then here, Matt, and let's be obvious about it. There, there's earlier attempts um, by the medical profession to treat neurological conditions with electricity do not have the greatest reputation. Yeah. I mean, everyone knows electroshock therapy. Um, everyone remembers that example of one flew over the, the cuckoo's nest, you know, that that novel about um, mental health treatment in the, the 1960s and the the kind of savagery mm, of those mm. electric uh, convulsive therapies back then. Now, this comes back, as I said, to that understanding part. Scientists have long known that electricity could be used to treat certain neurological conditions. They haven't known exactly how or why. And that led to, you know, these, these very kind of um, rough treatments uh, from a few decades ago. Uh, and the treatment had the reputation of being worse than the illnesses that it was trying to, you know, interrupt or cure. But we do have a better idea of how the body functions now. Plus, mm -hmm. we're already using certain classes of bioelectronic devices quite commonly. Mm. Um, the one that most people are aware of, of course, is pacemakers, which use electric pulses to, to regulate the beating of the heart. Uh, cochlear implants have become increasingly common. Uh, and we've reported on stories before about tiny implants being um, put into bodies to disrupt the uh, pain signals sent to nerve, uh, but sent by nerve endings uh, to arthritis sufferers, for example. But some of the developments we're seeing are on the technical side as well, because we can now make devices that are much smaller. Uh, they're smaller, but they still have more powerful processes and sensors, and they consume less energy. Right. Um, and more importantly, they can use you know Bluetooth, Wi-Fi, whatever technologies to talk to the equipment used by doctors, which allows, you know, it to be monitored and for progress to, to, to be monitored. Now, I'm not going to add in the complication of AI at the moment or brain computer interfaces, uh, all developments that we're likely to see interact with bioelectric medicine, certainly at some point. We've reached a point where bioelectronic interventions are practical and make sense. Um, you've kind of briefly touched on this with brain interfaces and whatnot and the but before we delve, I guess, into the treatment themselves, what are some of the other potential risks or, I guess, limitations of this approach? Well, of course, you know, whenever you get these these new technologies, you know, everyone suddenly goes, oh, it's fantastic. It's going to cure right. absolutely everything. So I don't want to make these kind of wide and vague claims. Uh, it's not like you know, we can stand next to the wireless charging mat for our phone and it will <laughs> magically enable us to live for a thousand years. It's like, yeah, I've topped up today. Um, so we'll take the vagus nerve as an example, which Time magazine does. Uh, it's the longest nerve system in the body, stretching from the brainstem through the neck and the shoulders, right through into the abdomen. And it controls or regulates a lot of critical functions. So it deals with swallowing, it deals with digestion. Uh, mm -hmm. Critically, it deals with 
breathing and heart rate. So it's a good area of research for this kind of intervention because it has such far-reaching and system-critical functions. But that also makes it you know, the most complicated nerve system in the body, or certainly amongst the most complicated. And our nervous system isn't like the wiring circuit in a diagram, which shows you what kind of boring YouTube videos I've been watching recently, uh, circuit boards, what a really <laughs> horribly dull example. Um, but anyway, those, those strands and nerve endings, you know, they branch off in thousands of different places. They wrap around each other. So it's not always clear exactly what's what. You know, you wouldn't want a, a device sending signals to regulate distortion to be leaking or sending messages to the heart or lungs and interrupting their action. In fact, um, one of the researchers quoted by Time makes a similar analogy to the barbed wire party lines that I mentioned last week. Uh, mm. You have a, a essentially what you have is a, a telephone line to the specific nerve ending that you want to target. But that line is also linked to every other connection on the network. And essentially when you speak to one, you're broadcasting to all of them. Mm. I just want to backtrack a little bit and, and say that you mentioned distortion rather than digestion. So I think that kind of gives people at home <laughs> an idea as to the wiring uh, boards that Matt has been talking about. Did I? I said distortion. I do apologize. Yes, I, I meant digestion. More about digestion in a minute, actually. Um, so what do we need then? Do we need better mapping? Is, is that what well, you're talking about? Exactly that. So, you know, some nerve paths are shorter. Um, they're much better understood. But what we're really lacking is this cohesive and comprehensive map of the body. Uh, I half remember this story from a few years ago, um, one of the potential medical uses of augmented reality actually, was for surgeons to have a map of the inside of their patient uh, overlaid as an image. And it basically acts as a guide for when they're uh, performing the surgery. So mm. telling them, you know, what they need to cut and not cut. And I know that sounds obvious, but when you're inside a human body, things aren't as clear as the TV shows make it out to be. You know, there's blood, there's fat, there's all sorts of tissue that are, are getting in the way. So the US National Institute of Health is funding a system called Spark, which will create a full picture of all the major nerve networks in the body. And they've assigned uh, different organs, different parts of the, the nerve systems to uh, different researchers. And the idea is that all of this information will be pulled. It will essentially be an open source repository and the results will be available to any uh, scientists who are working in this field of electroceuticals. Okay, then. Uh, so now I think we're at the point where we can have a look at some of the uh, treatments that are being developed. Yeah, as usual, I've waffled my way to the end uh, <laughs> of the time without getting to the, the bigger point, um, digressing with distortion for some reason. So a, a, a team at Johns Hopkins has been looking into the potential of electroceuticals for neurodegenerative conditions like Alzheimer's. Mm. Now, so far, they've only done a, a small study. It was with 36 patients. But those who received the electrical stimulation showed a marked improvement in their ability to remember 
words, uh, a company called Neuros Medical is looking at the potential to treat amputees who suffer from phantom pain. Now, phantom pain can be caused when uh, nerve endings continue to grow and they try to reach back to the amputated limb. Uh, and as a result, they become tangled in a, a knot that's called a, a neuroma. And this obviously can be very painful. So the device from uh, Neuros Medical uh, includes a surgically implanted electrode that uh, uh, targets one or two nerve endings in the leg. This is connected to another device in the abdomen, which is a, a waveform generator, which sends out the, the signal. So when the patient gets that feeling of pain, they use a remote control to trigger a burst of current from the generator to the electrode that lasts around 30 minutes. And that current blocks the pain signals that the nerve endings are trying to send to the brain. But what's really interesting is that the, the makers of the device initially thought that the patients would be pain-free only while they were actually using the device. But during their first human trials, they found that some participants would be pain-free for hours or even days at a time following that, that quick 30-minute burst of electricity. Do they know why? Well, as I said, it was unexpected. So the current hypothesis is that it desensitizes the nervous system to the pain sensation. So huh. we'll need a lot more research to fully understand why. But that's often the case with medical treatments. We see that they work or they work in ways that we hadn't imagined and we have to, you know, reverse engineer it, try and figure out why. Yeah. But the clinical benefits are clear to see and clear to use in the meantime. So Neuros is currently expanding its trials. Um, but yeah, that's another promising example. Uh, the time example uses uh, another example, which is Setpoint Medical, which is one of the companies that's doing research work with the vagus nerve. And they're working on treatments for autoimmune conditions like Crohn's disease. Now, as far as I know, Crohn's isn't that common in Malaysia, um, but the part of the UK I come from um, has quite a high incidence of, of Crohn's. And globally, there are around 800,000 people with the condition. It's uh, an inflammatory bowel disease, and there's no you know, cure. There are limited yeah. therapies available for it. Uh, drug interventions are short-lived um, because it plays havoc with a lot of different parts of the body. Um, it makes eating and nutrient extraction difficult. It can cause excruciating, excruciating pain. Uh, sufferers are often frequently hospitalized, um, and there's often extensive damage to uh, the colon and bowel tissues, which lead to uh, surgical removal of sections of of bowel. So I've known and know a number of people with the condition. Me too. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Four, I mean, four people in, amongst my group of friends from back home. Exactly. I mean, it's, it's quite common. There are, there are pools of it across, yeah. across the UK. Um, the timepiece follows a patient who had been given a, a chest implant uh, by the company. Uh, and that sends out pulses to the nerve endings that calm the response from her immune system. And in her case, the changes seem to have been absolutely remarkable. At first, she was supposed to trigger the implant four times a day, but she quickly found that she would skip two of them because she no longer had pain and discomfort that would be 
the reason that she triggered it. So, huh. you know, she found herself just forgetting. She also found herself skipping her pain medication because there wasn't any pain. Um, and then, of course, realizing that she no longer needed the pain medication. So she's gone from being someone who needed her husband's help to dress in the morning because of the arthritic pain that the condition mm. triggered to being someone who works out and does long distance running. Wow. And she's currently in, I think, her second year of being symptom free. Um, scans have found that the tissue in her colon is repairing itself and her digestion is pretty much back to normal. She's eating normally, absorbing nutrients normally. Now, not everyone is going to have that kind of transformational experience with electroceutical treatments. But that really is quite impressive just for a little bit of electricity. I've got to say, Matt, I am shocked. Uh -huh. uh, anyway, <laughs> good show. Good show, Matthew. Thank you very Thank much you. for your time today. <laughs> of course, that was Matt Splained here on BFM 89.9. If you did miss any part of this show, don't forget, um, you can head over to our website to listen back to it. You can also listen back on our BFM app that is available on the Apple App Store or Google Play. You can also subscribe to Matt's uh, Substack. That is culturepop.substack.com. And you can follow him, of course, on all of the socials. He is at Culture Matt. Correct or not? Pretty much correct. There you go. We'll be back, of course, same time, same place, next week for another shocking show here on BFM 89.9. Listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.